Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, welcome to Who Knew? Welcome back after a brief uh, break. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Everything's fine. We're good. We're refreshed and we're excited to get going again. Oh, yeah. You got anything uh, of note? Update? No. 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 Thanks for being patient. That's it. Okay. Okay. We don't have to apologize. Uh, I wasn't. I just said thank you. <laughs> Did I apologize before? Kind of. It doesn't matter. No. Uh, I am not sorry, but thank you. Uh, so let's get into it. Yeah. Let's Do you have go. anything that you want to add? No, I think Butters does. Butters wants to say hi. Hi, baby. What was that? I hope you guys heard that weird noise my cat just made. Ow. Okay. Good. Oh, good. Good. Um, I'll get started. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how to say this name, and I'm so sorry. (laughs) I always do this myself. I don't know how I do it. It's like I get interested in these interesting-looking names, and then I get to the recording day, and I'm like, I have no idea how to say this. Um, So I am talking about a killer who I think would be more of like a, not a spree killer. He just killed two people, so he's a killer. Um, His name is Tim... Boxkowski. I'm not going to say that ever again. I lied. Maybe a couple more times. But um, Tim, he was apparently an entrepreneur from North Carolina. I don't really know a lot about his back history. All of the articles that I could find were like, oh, this is uh, the deed that he did. And I'm like, okay. So I've pieced together as much as I could. He married his first wife, Elaine, uh, sometime before 1990. (laughs) So, good luck with that. And eventually, sometime around then, they had three children. Uh, They had two sons, Randy and Todd, and one daughter, Sandy. I believe Todd is the youngest, and Randy and Sandy, lol. I just realized the name coincidence. Uh, I think Randy's the oldest, and Sandy's the middle. So, anyways. Creative names. Yeah. So, much like a lot of our stories that we talk about, Tim was the perfect husband. He was a perfect father, according to outsiders. Um, Tim and Elaine lived specifically in Greensboro, North Carolina. And on November 4th, 1990, Tim calls 911. I was going to say 911. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, he calls 911, <laughs> stating that he found his wife unresponsive in the bathtub. Uh, so former... Uh, he was an officer then, but now former officer of Greensboro Police Department, Steve Good. He goes to the scene and he's one of the officers that is there trying to investigate to see what's going on. And he recalls that, quote, by the time Elaine came to the ER, she was already gone, end quote. So kind of a big bummer that they couldn't save her. Uh, and then Tim told Officer Good that Elaine was basically a lush and that he had found her submerged in the bathtub. Oh. Yeah. So that's interesting. Also, I think there's children screaming outside, if you can hear that. Um, uh, Officer Good observed that there was, like, no odor of alcohol on her. So he was like, that's really weird that he would say that she was, like, drunk. And then uh, Officer Good did see that there was a very weird, like, mark on her abdomen. And then the investigators also found that the tub that Elaine was in was not filled with water. It was completely dry. Like, not even, mm. like, water had just been in it and had just been drained. Like, you know how you can tell the condensation? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. It was, like, bone dry. Um, and it was empty, except for there was a washcloth and some vomit, to which Tim said that Elaine threw up when he tried to give her CPR. Apparently, he was doing that in the bathtub, oh, which okay. I guess if that's what you got... Um, 
also, oddly, the bathtub was one of those that had, like, a track for a sliding glass door. And, uh, the officer was like, that could be the mark that is on her abdomen. It kind of matches. But at the time, he couldn't know for sure without, like, an autopsy. But he was like, that kind of is a little puzzle piece there. Um, so they waited for the results. It took a while. Obviously, autopsies don't happen in five minutes like they do on TV. So they found out some other things while they were waiting for that. They learned that uh, their marriage, Tim and Elaine's, uh, was crumbling, as well as their ice cream business which is an interesting business to have. And Tim had taken out a $25,000 life insurance policy on his wife. It's a clue. Yeah, that is a big clue on you're about to get murdered. Um, so November 13th, Elaine's autopsy finally came back and it showed that Tim's version of the events did not match what her body was telling them. Um, he said that she was drunk and much like Officer Good had recalled, he'd done smelling any alcohol. There was absolutely no alcohol in her system. Um, Tim said that he found her underwater, but analysis of Elaine's lungs determined that asphyxiation by drowning was inconclusive, but mm. not for sure a deciding factor. So as you can guess, the cause of death was undetermined. <laughs> I feel like they can like drowning is one of those that's pretty easy to that's what i'm thinking tell. i think that she did end up dying of uh, asphyxiation uh but i think that based off of what tim said they were going and saying like well if he did cpr it could have come out of her so like they didn't find any water in her lungs but they were like well maybe that's what happened so that i think that's why it's inconclusive i don't know i'm not a forensic pathologist mm -hmm. um so that's it it effectively ended the case saying like it's undetermined I guess no one's at fault, whatever. Um, so then Tim got the $25,000 life insurance payout. And he moved his three kids to Pittsburgh, the area of Pittsburgh, which is specifically uh, the city of Ross, Pennsylvania. And about a year after Elaine's death, Tim met a Marianne, Mary Ann, sorry, Fullerton at a church singles event. And they married in 1994. So four years after. Shortly after their marriage, things obviously started to go the other way. Mm -hmm. On November 7th, 1994, Tim called 911 again and told dispatchers that he found Marianne unconscious in the hot tub. And he said, quote, I'm trying to get her out of the water, end quote. And um, apparently this call is like open to the public, like a lot of calls you can get but like this one i think you can find on youtube apparently according to the source that i had i don't think you should listen to it it's probably disturbing but if you like that check it out um so i now retired uh ross township police department sergeant uh bill barrett responded to the scene and recalled quote i remember running around to the back of the house and finding the victim laying on the deck in her bathing suit unfortunately she was absolutely deceased end quote yeah so, oddly, while officers were on scene, Tim makes the most interesting remark of, I hope they don't try to pin this on me. Oh, that's <laughs> another clue. Yeah, not something <laughs> that you should say when your wife died. Nope. Um, even more interesting is that Tim requested for Marianne to be taken to um, Allegheny General Hospital, which is pretty far from their house when there were other options that were closer. Odd. Yeah, and she was pronounced DOA uh, at the hospital, basically. 
um i don't know if that was just to like buy him some time and just be like well if she if there's any chance of her living i want her to go to the furthest hospital yeah um so while investigating sergeant barrett eventually learned that marianne's death mirrored tim's first wife elaine's death which i'm sure you guys already picked up on uh when questioned by officers tim claimed that marianne had also been drinking heavily which again the state of the crime scene and Elaine, or I'm sorry, Marianne's body completely said otherwise. There were no like alcohol cans. There was no beer. There was no wine bottles. There was nothing found like near the hot tub or like in the house. Uh, police like empty ones. I'm sure they probably had alcohol there. But police became more suspicious when they noticed deep scratch marks on Tim's neck, to which he said that his wife had given him a scratch massage earlier in the night. But they believed that it was a potential, like, sign that Marion had fought for her life, mm. as one often does. Uh, there was no signs of, I'm sorry, there were signs of bruises on Marianne's neck and face. Um, there was another similarity. I'm sure you guys can probably guess this one, too. Marianne also had just been taken out a $100,000 life insurance policy, and Tim had used... Uh, cash from their wedding gifts in order to buy the wedding or the insurance policy hmm. is interesting so like that's pretty shitty that you're like already betting on your wife's death Ugh. so eventually tim agreed yeah immediately he's like oh i thought i know what this cash can be used for i'm gonna buy a life insurance policy um so tim eventually agreed to take a polygraph uh which uh do you want to guess what his results were um bad yeah, he failed. No he failed bad. He um, failed bad. According to Gary Waters, who is a retired police lieutenant from the Ross Township Police Department, and I'm sorry, he had talked to the polygraph uh, ex- examiner who had said, there's no doubt in my mind that he killed his wife. So if that doesn't say guilty. But yeah. a week after Marianne's death, her autopsy revealed that her cause of death to be asphyxiated sorry asphyxiation oh my gosh this is so hard asphyxiation by manual strangulation not drowning like tim claimed so sergeant barrett obviously recognizes that you can't strangle yourself so on november 16th 1994 tim was charged by with marianne's murder um to help build their case the Pittsburgh investigators contacted officials in Greensboro, where they learned that the older daughter of Tim and Elaine, um, Sandy, had told a neighbor in 1990 that she'd heard her parents arguing before her mother died. Sandy, possibly due to her dad's influence or that she was so young at the time, didn't tell police that, but she did report it in 1994, um, and investigators requested a second look into Eileen's, uh, Eileen's, Eileen's, whatever, uh, Elaine's, that's her name, autopsy report. Um, the medical examiner re-examined the report and considered Sandy's statement when looking at it and uh, concluded that the track marks on her abdomen were caused by him, pushing her down over the tub, forcing the air out of her lungs. Thus, Elaine's uh, cause of death was changed to asphyxiation, and Tim was now charged with her murder as well as Marianne's. Um, his trial for uh, Mary, or I'm sorry, Elaine's murder began in North Carolina in October 1996. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. So three years later, in 1999, he had a trial for Marianne's murder in Pittsburgh, and capital punishment was a possibility here. Uh, he 
eventually a judge ruled that the evidence from a neighbor from North Carolina um, who looked after the children after Elaine's death was relevant, despite obvious pushback from Tim's and the defense. Um, The neighbor apparently testified that their child, uh, Elaine and Tim's child, Todd, had told her he'd seen his father in the bathroom holding his mother down. Uh, Todd recalled a little later in his life older he was really shocked by the testimony when he heard it because he had no memory of that um and former prosecutor beth karras offered a possibility saying that children can cope with severe trauma by burying it so maybe that's what happened um when asked about the trial according to oxygen todd even states quote unlike my dad's first murder trial i knew that the death penalty was on the table um you can say that Yes, who can say that? So he added that he was just convinced that it was a big mistake. Like all of the children all agreed to their father's innocence hmm. throughout this time. It's just, like uh, it's like the staircase. Yeah, it is like so noted that like his children were like, my dad did not do this. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, Tim's trial concluded and he was convicted of killing both women. Uh, The children made emotional appeals to the court to not sentence their father to death, but Tim received the death penalty anyway. Tim's sentence was later uh, changed to life in prison in 2004 because of a extradition issue. Um, Do I talk about that later? I think I do. So keep that in your mind. Um, Most interestingly, around this time, Todd visited his father, who admitted that he had seen him killing his mother when he was five years old. So he's finally like, actually, like, this is what happened. Um, Apparently, with the death penalty gone, uh, Todd's memory got jogged a little bit. He says, (laughs) it opened up my eyes into who he actually was as a person. He's cold, manipulative, and a killer. Um, Tim was paroled from prison in North Carolina after being there for 22 years. And in November 2000, sorry, 2018, Tim was up for parole in the state of North Carolina because, quote, inmates were crime inmates whose crimes were committed before October 1994, after which parole was eliminated, would be eligible for parole. So while he was convicted of killing his first wife, Elaine, in November 1996, she was actually murdered in 1990. So... That's why oh. he was eligible for parole before it was actually eliminated. Um, but immediately upon getting paroled, he was sent to Pennsylvania for his second uh, life sentence. <laughs> LOL. So um, Tim is currently serving his time at State Correction Correctional Institution Green in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. Um, according to forensic files, now as of august of 2021 sandy has become a corporate hr executive for a logistics company randy got a job in crowd control in philadelphia stadium and started his own family and todd has served in the military and co-founded an online marketing company um if interested forensicfiles.com has a QA with todd he's like super transparent about everything like that um and you can see all kinds of shit about this oxygen has their own thing, which is, like, one of my main sources. It's called Living with a Serial Killer, where the children, and again, mainly Todd, were interviewed about Tim. Um, Forensic Files has an episode called All Wet. And then Todd has appeared, or I'm sorry, apparently started making his own book called My Two Angels, and it will be released June 2023. 
according to his website, toddboz.com. Um, and then there's also a m- book called Please Don't Kill My Mommy by Fanny Weinstein and Ruth Schumann. Um, my sources were Forensic Files, Oxygen, and then Distractify and SportsKeda.com. Nice. Yeah. How crazy that he killed both of his first and second wives. All, all of his wives. All of the I wives. I wonder if anybody's ever going to marry him after that. Well, I mean, he's in prison, so. so that doesn't mean anything. That's true. I guess people okay. do get married in prison, but yeah. it's probably like the fangirls that are like, oh my God, you're so hot. So gross. The weird shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Hard pass. Well, good to know that there's uh, good men in the world still. Are there good men in the world? Nope. <laughs> Yourself included? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and especially not this guy. Have you ever heard the story of Joe Matheny? No. He's awful. He sounds awful. Terrible, terrible man. Also will make you never want to eat a pulled pork sandwich ever. Oh. Speaking of, if you haven't seen Dahmer, go watch it. Unrelated, yeah. but there is a scene related to pulled pork. It's, and it's pretty disgusting. fucked up. And it is uh, part of what um, I feel like everybody this. who's in this community has watched that Netflix show. And if they haven't, then you're not a true fan. Okay. Jeez. I'm just saying. Or they don't have Netflix. Oh. Although I don't know anybody who doesn't have Netflix now. So Yeah. I mean, just borrow someone's Netflix account and watch it. Um. So let's get on. Let's go. Get on with it. Uh, Joe Matheny, I don't know if he is really considered a serial killer. The majority of his crimes all took place like in one night. He was just like, like boom, boom, boom. But, they, but he had a couple others that are like random. So I think generally people will call him a serial killer. Um, but he was from Maryland. Um, and a quote from him is uh my murder rampage started out as revenge but ended up as a passion for the taste of blood and the overwhelming sense of power one gets from taking the life of another oh my god yeah (laughs) um so the details of like his childhood his early years are a little bit conflicted according to his attorneys he was neglected as a child as many serial killers reportedly are uh his dad was an alcoholic who was killed in a car crash when he was only six not his dad when joe was only six uh his mom reportedly neglected him as well um and his five siblings also by working double shifts to provide a home now, she didn't have a husband to help her out, and there were six kids. So That's insane. I'm just saying. Uh, according to Joe, his parents often sent him to live with other families in foster-like arrangements. I don't know how that works. Like, hey, you want to just take my kid for the summer? Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, okay, you have your own children. Yeah. You just want one more? Yeah. Well, just like give them to random family members? Yeah. He also claimed his mom was dead, but she wasn't, so his... Um, version of the truth is probably not super reliable just for like yeah just to lay that foundation down for us Mm -hmm. uh, for this story so um his mom admitted that they were a poor family she worked numerous jobs including a job as a waitress a barmaid food truck driver just anything that she could just to provide for all six of Mm -hmm. her kids according to her the kids lived a fairly normal family life never went hungry uh, she also denied Joe's claims that he had been sent to live with other families, so unknown if that's actually true. Um, his mom described him as a good boy. He was 
kind, <laughs> he's a well-mannered. Dog. Yep. He's a good he boy. He's a very good boy. <laughs> um, and an above average uh, student. She said, quote, he was smart and had a good childhood. If he was neglected, it was his own fault. My God. It was a pretty good home. He's a child. End quote. <laughs> it was his own fault. Glazing past the majority of his childhood beyond that, uh, he joined the army when he turned 19. That was in 1973. According to him, he served a tour in Vietnam, and that's where he became addicted to heroin while he was in an artillery unit. Uh, His mom said, I don't think so. As far as we knew, he was in Germany. No recollection of him spending any time in Vietnam. Uh, President, it's worth, for timeline's sake, uh, President Nixon signed the Paris Peace Accords and ordered the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Vietnam in 1973. Um, That was the year that he joined. Oh, so he was not Um, in Vietnam? So the odds that he was in Vietnam are very slim. (laughs) According to his mom, he rarely contacted her after he joined the army, um, and he just kind of drifted further away from the whole family in general. Um... By 1990, fast-forwarding, he had become a pretty big fucking dude. Um, He weighed more than 350 pounds, stood at about 6 foot 1. Obviously not in the Army anymore. I don't think he did all that much time in there. Um, And his friends called him, ironically, uh, Tiny. That was his nickname. Makes sense. So, we're in adulthood now. Spent most of his time in bars, living among various homeless camps because he was indeed addicted to heroin. Um, he sp- uh, says me too. <laughs> yeah. um, so he was living in all these like kind of tent cities in South Baltimore, although he held a steady job as what? a forklift driver and would spend all of his money on crack cocaine, heroin. Oh. And liquor. So that's why he was homeless. Um, Those who knew him described him as intelligent, well-spoken, and very well-mannered. By 1994, he was working as a truck driver. He had a six-year-old son with his girlfriend who he lived with in these various tents in Baltimore. Uh, He was a trucker, so he was away from home for pretty long periods of time. So when uh, when he returned home one day, he found his girlfriend and their son missing, and he was pissed because he thought uh, she was cheating on him. Oh, okay. Um, Just like him, his girlfriend had a drug problem, and he, because she had left, he immediately assumed that she had left him for another man choosing to live on the streets with him instead of with Joe. Um, He said, quote, I found out about six months later she had moved to the other side of town with some asshole that had her out selling selling her ass for drugs. Uh, he said that they got busted for drugs and they took away my son from them uh, for child neglect and child abuse. That's what he reports. Um, when he did find this out, though, uh, he was pissed and he goes searching for her, scoured all of the halfway houses, all the homeless camps, gets to this bridge where he knew she uh, would... Like, she used to buy from Mm -hmm. some people who lived down there. Um, And she was known to, like, do drugs down there. She wasn't there, but two homeless men were. Uh, This was Randall Brewer and Randy Picker. Randall and Randy. Uh So he asked them, he says, where the fuck is my girlfriend? Uh, He thought that they knew where she was. They didn't. They didn't know anything. um, But he didn't, like, that was not good enough for him. He was so enraged. Um, He had brought an axe with him 
on this search. I don't know really what his intentions were, if it was just to intimidate her. I think he wanted to kill her. Probably. Um, Instead of doing that, he attacked the men under the bridge, killing both of them. Damn. Tossed their bodies into the river. He was ultimately, down the road, uh, arrested for the murders of Brewer and Piker. Um, He, like, during all that, yeah, he sat in county jail for a year and a half trying to get to trial that takes forever ends up getting acquitted of all of that police and investigators knew about the crime but they had never been able to locate the bodies oh 1995 uh he had secured himself a job working as a forklift driver again uh moved into a trailer near his work so he's stepping up a little bit Mm -hmm. uh one night he lures 39 year old kathy ann magaziner that is her name. I listen to several podcasts. Uh, Kathy Ann Magaziner back to his trailer where he then strangled her. Mm. She was buried in a shallow grave on the site where he worked. Mm-hmm. Six months later, he returns to her grave site, digs her up, has sex with her body before removing her head and dropping it in the trash. And her body somehow went undiscovered for two years. Hold November- on. <laughs> Six months? And he fucked her body? Yeah, he came back. He was like, I guess I'll fuck her now. She's, like, very decomposed. Yeah. That's very disgusting. Uh-huh. He probably has, like, diseases. Yeah. Probably. That yeah. is so gross. That's so gross. Like, yep. not that I can understand having sex with, like, a recently dead body, mm-hmm. but, like, if we're going to choose levels here, that yeah. is more, way more repulsive. Yep. So he waits a year almost. Uh, he gets to November of 1996, and this is where he goes kind of crazy. Uh, he lures Kimberly Lynn Spicer, who is a heroin addict and single mother, to his trailer, stabs her to death, dismembers her body, discards the parts of it under some wooden pallets at work. Again, he this poor like workplace is just like, we're just trying to own a business here. Yeah. This guy keeps storing bodies. We're not going to fire him because we don't know about it yet. Mm. So he stores her body parts under some wooden pallets at work. Somehow nobody noticed. Oh, my gosh. Um, December 8th of 1996, which is literally the next, like, this is all within a few days. Um, he kidnaps Rita Kemper. What? Attempts to rape her. And according to prosecutors, he shared drugs with her in the trailer where he was living. Um, she refused to have sex with him. Runs out of the trailer, so he chased her, beat her, dragged her back to the trailer, pulled down her pants, tries to rape her again. Um, Kemper says she had a uh, nope. Kemper said that he had attempted to murder her, saying, "I'm going to kill you, bury you in the woods with the other girls." Hmm. She escapes through a window, fled straight to police officers in the area. Badass. The thing then they believed her. Uh huh. Oh, good. Matheny then uh, goes to this friend, says, "You know what? I think it's time uh, to bury the body of Spicer, who is hidden under the pallets at mm-hmm. work." Um, and for whatever reason, this friend was like, "Huh? Okay, uh, I thought Can that you're but... telling me about this." Oh. Uh, <laughs> I thought he was just like, "Okay, let's do she'd it." She'd only been there for a month, um, and had been hiding under these pallets, um. The friend reported it to the police. He said, hey, this dude at work uh, asked me to help him do this. Ports it on December 15th, and Mathene was arrested and charged with her murder that same day. Uh, the owner of the business was arrested with Mathene 
as they left a <laughs> they left a Christmas party and was uh, charged as an accessory after the fact for allegedly disposing of evidence. I don't really know what happened with that. I'm a, that is only mentioned briefly, and I think he was probably let go at that point. But I think the fact that this they guy were had, like you let like, him you do it have to have known. Mm-hmm. Um, Matheny quickly began confessing to other murders as well as that of Spicer, led police to the shallow grave where he had reburied Magaziner's decapitated remains. Mm -hmm. Much of the skull was missing, uh, but the police were able to identify her from dental records. Um, Police said that he had chosen young white sex workers who were addicted to heroin and cocaine. Um, The killings also involved brutal sex assaults almost, like, throughout all of them. Um... He was indicted for killing another woman named Tony Lynn Ingracia. She was 28, uh, but those charges were later dropped for lack of evidence. Um, mm-hmm. He supposedly confessed to that and knew like a lot of details about it, and that's what um, led police to charge him with it. But there was that was all. They were like, no. Nope. They were like, how the fuck do you know this? But there was no evidence that connected him to it. Interesting. Um. He claimed to have also killed three other sex workers along Washington Boulevard in Baltimore, although there was, again, no evidence of most of those crimes other than his confession. I wonder if he killed anybody during his time as a truck driver. Uh, Probably. That'd be way easier Mm -hmm. to get away with, I would Mm -hmm. think. Um, I'm going to read a very long quote uh, from his confession. So if you were... Uh, not interested in some pretty gross details and some pretty, like, lack of remorse, skip ahead. Probably 30 seconds, a minute, you'll probably be safe. A minute. Quote, I lured two more crack whores up there to my trailer. I killed and butchered their bodies up. I cut the meat up and put it in some Tupperware bowls and put it in the freezer. I buried the remain the other remains uh, in a sh- several shallow graves in a little woods behind the company. Over the next couple of weeks, on the weekends, I opened up a little open pit beef stand. I had real roast beef and pork sandwiches, and why not? They're very good. The human body tastes very similar to pork. If you mix it together, no one can tell the difference. Everything was going pretty good until I ran out of my special meat, so I lured another bitch up to my trailer. I got her in there, started to rip her clothes off, and knocking the hell out of her. She was screaming, but there was no one around to hear her except for me, and I just kept on laughing at her. I turned around for a split second, and that was my mistake, because she ran out the door before I could get to her. There was an 8-foot chain-link fence with barbed wire on top of it around the front of the company. There was a stack of wooden pallets next to the fence, about 10 feet high. That bitch scaled those pallets like a monkey, jumped the fence, ran down to the main road where some guy in a pickup truck picked her up and took her to the nearby gas station where they called the cops. End quote. Was that the lady that got I away? I think he's saying that that's, yeah, that that's Kemper. Kemper, that was her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... So... Scale that like a monkey, you know, shit, her life was in danger. I would do the same thing. Right. You're suddenly the most athletic person Literally. when your life's in danger. He's like six foot one, 350 pounds. He's probably not going to scale that. No, absolutely her. not. Um, So he... Claimed to do all these things, claimed to be feeding people, quote, quote, pulled pork, uh, special meat sandwiches. There's no, um, like, nobody was ever, ever came up and was like, oh my god, I fucking ate sandwiches from this dude. 
Um, so You'd think that a lot of people true. would come you up. You would think that, but that's what he claimed. And uh, that is kind of what gave him uh, a pre... They called him the cannibal. Do we uh, imagine that he's like some kind of pathological liar based off of his history of he nuts? He's gotta be. Hmm. Um, Maybe he's trying to be like Dahmer. Was this before Dahmer? Yes, this was in the 90s. Hmm. So, yeah. He was tried in 1997 in the Kemper case, the one who got away, given a sentence of 50 years for kidnapping and attempted sexual assault. He was acquitted I feel like this was the of same attempting time as to murder her. Um, he was caught in the 90s. So was Dahmer. No, I'm saying Dahmer was caught in the 90s. Mm. But this guy, I mean, this was literally like one year where he did this to like maybe four people, five people. Gotcha. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he was acquitted of trying to murder her. I don't know how. <laughs> um, he was sentenced to death in 1998 for the murder of Spicer. Um, at his sentencing hearing, he said that he committed murders because he quote, enjoyed it, and quote, got a rush out of it, got a high out of it, and had no real excuse why other than I like to do it. 19, so weird. Uh-huh, August of 1998, pled guilty to murdering and robbing Magaziner. Prosecutors sought the death penalty in that case as well, and he got a sentence of life in prison. Um, his death sentence was overturned in 2000, and the sentence for the murder of Spicer was then reduced to life without parole. And the rationale for the death penalty was that the murder had been committed in committing the robbery, but the evidence indicated the robbery was not his motivation. Mm. But whatever. Mm -hmm. Ends up not getting any kind of death sentence. 2017, guards found him unresponsive in his cell. What a little bitch. And they pronounced him dead shortly afterward. I could not. I searched high and low, couldn't find any kind of cause of death or anything Probably like that. hanged himself. I feel like that's the most easy. No, he was just unresponsive. Oh, like a medical like issue? He must, I'm guessing he probably had, yeah, some kind of heart attack. Oh, or I thought he killed himself, and I was like, what a little pansy oh, ass no. bitch. No, nothing said that. I think he just died. Okay. So. That is Joe the Cannibal Mathene. A cannibal that might not have been a cannibal. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Butters, do you know? He definitely seems to be a mix of like Dahmer and Keen. Ed Kemper and a little Kemper bit of totally with the cutting the head off. Yeah. And having sex with the yep. body. Yep. So. Yep. Gross dude. Uh, not a fan. No. 10 out of 10 would not recommend. Would not. Right. Zero out of 10. I. Yeah. Imagine getting, like, a call like that where, like, someone's like, uh, this naked lady just ran up to my truck and she says someone tried to kill her. Very strange. Imagine responding to that. I would or, just like, get detectives or, like, <laughs> right away. The call of, like, my f coworker just asked me to bury a body with him. That's going to take a sergeant. That's going to take a sergeant. <laughs> Not my job. Sorry, hard pass. That seems <laughs> a little bit... Like uh, an adult needs to maybe respond to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. An adult, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, no, that would be that'd be a bad night. The, yeah, literally. Uh huh. So that's all I got. You got cool. anything else? No, I don't. I have a cuddly little boy here with us. Cool. He's so cute. Good for him. Well, you can find us on Instagram. That's probably your best bet to get to all the other links. Um, find us at Who Knew Podcast. Just search that. You'll find it. Then we have a link tree that will take you to our Patreon. Yes. 10 out of 10. Recommend that. What do you also think? email us if you want to. Who Knew Podcast 666 at gmail.com. 
What do you think, Butters? He says, that was a good episode. He says, I'm going to be quiet now. I'm not going to yell. Because you guys, it's not important. No. No, it's not important. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Bye.